Hello, and welcome back to Lost in Citations, our regular podcast where we speak to the producers of interesting content and see if we can learn a little bit more about their background. Joining us today is Fiona Wall-Minami from Kumamoto University, who is also the owner of Brits English School. Very nice to speak to you again today, Fiona. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I think we met first at uh, Sojo University down in Kumamoto. So that would be earlier this year, about February. Yeah. The Sutluf, I can never pronounce it, conference. Sutluf, it, it, yes, it, 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 it's an interesting connection of um, letters that don't really make a correct acronym. So. <laughs> yes, but every year I try. Sutluf, yes. And um, the the book we're going to be talking about today is uh, your, your uh, textbook, which is called uh, Escape the Classroom. Now, uh, I would like to just read the first line of, uh, of the introduction, uh, which is, Welcome to Escape the Classroom, which I think most students are trying to do anyway. And a few teachers. <laughs> so, could you could you give us some background into how you came up with the concept for this book? <laughs> yeah, I really should. I mean, it's quite it's kind of an anarchic sounding name, which I liked, and I actually got the title years before I started writing the book. I just had that title in my head for a very long time, and I knew it was going to lead somewhere, but I didn't quite know where. So to go back to the very beginning, I was sat on an aeroplane coming back from a trip home to visit family in England. And um, I'd like to say I was reading an academic paper or something for the purposes of this podcast. <laughs> it was a polite magazine. And there was an article about Budapest and escape rooms and how derelict buildings and rooms were being used to create something called escape rooms. And I was instantly fascinated. And the article referenced um, The Crystal Maze, which is a TV show that has always been huge in my mind. Survivor, which I'm kind of obsessed with. I could talk a whole podcast about that, but I won't. And just the idea of this game in a room where you're in a team, you generally have an hour, you have to solve puzzles, figure out codes, sometimes solve a mystery and escape the room and I was I was instantly hooked got off the plane got back home talked to my sister on the phone and told her we are going to do an escape room the next time we meet I have to do this and she also ran with the idea and went to an escape room before I could even get back to England the next time and by the time we got there she was really really hooked so the first one I did was in Japan in Fukuoka, and I went by myself because no one around me had any interest in this. This is a running theme. We'll probably come back to that. And <laughs> I found myself in a room handcuffed to two complete strangers who were students from Oita. And we had to figure out how to get out of this room. And it was a disaster. I was so bad. I couldn't <laughs> read a lot of the kanji in the puzzles. And um, I think we failed, but it was just a really exciting experience. And after that, I went to Budapest. I went to um, Bulgaria. I did escape rooms in Tokyo, in Korea, in the UK. And 
I'd probably got to about 30 or 40 when I had this moment in a room. I think it was in Seoul. And I just got this idea, escape the classroom. <gasps> mm. And then I didn't do anything about it for quite some time. And then in 2018, I just got the urge to start writing and it crystallized. And two years later, the book was published. Well, you say crystallized, of course, uh, uh, for other Brits who are listening, the Crystal Maze is an absolute <laughs> uh, cultural touchstone. Um, oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. And it's all about working in a team, strategy, using different elements of like people have different skills. Some people are creative. Right. Some have logic. Some have leadership skills. Some are really patient, attention to detail. A good team needs all of those different skills it's the same in an escape room and it's the same in my book because students mm. work teams and they all come from different backgrounds they have different different skills some of them are good leaders some of them are very quiet and this book I hope my my goal is to bring them together in a team in a cooperative but also really competitive environment so for people who have not seen the book and I've um spent uh, since you gave me a copy of it back in February, I've been flipping through it because I, uh, you gave me two books and uh, one of them uh, I think I've used with my sons with their um, with their language learning, but this one I I, I can't because there, there's no team building aspect uh, that I can do within the three of us or the four of us if I wrote my wife into it. Um, so, in in terms of how you conceived of the book. How did you come up with the ways to draw out these aspects of people's character? So the the person who's good with logic, the person who is is the decision maker, um, you know, the leader. Is that these kind of Jungian archetypes that you are uh, that are brought out throughout the activities of the book? How did you uh, come up with ways to do that in a language teaching environment? Mm. So the initial idea was to have missions. So usually in a textbook, you would have units or mm. chapters, something. But each week, each unit is a mission. And each one has a theme, for example, alien, um, alibi, clock, different themes. And those came about, uh, I really wanted to have a little sort of Easter egg that the first letter of every mission would spell something. So I came up with escape challenge and then not mm. many this actually. It's just one of the, the little things. But that gave me a structure. And then within each mission, there are usually six elements beginning with the letters E-S-C-A-P-E. -E. So I would have six main activities. It generally starts enter. So it's perhaps a vocabulary building exercise, learning some idioms. Uh, a quiz where they have to choose random answers, well, not random, but A, B, or C. And the team already from that point, some of them may have a good grasp of vocabulary. Some are just confident mm -hmm. and they'll guess. And it doesn't matter if they're right or wrong. It's all about using language to communicate, to have a stab at something, even if you don't know. And it and it's also familiar. They, they're doing vocabulary activities that they might do in an in a regular class, but that leads to more complex 
aspect. So the S often is solve, sort, some kind of puzzle or problem. Then the C might stand for communication. They have a communication activity. For example, in Alien, they have to decide uh, who wants to go on a one-way mission into space, who wants to remain on Earth. You've got to give your best reasons. The team leader will decide who gets to go, who gets to stay. So it's like a negotiation. Mm-hmm. And then A is maybe answer. Um, P could be play or puzzle. And then it leads up to E, the final escape puzzle, which is the climax of the class. And through each of those activities, because they're so different, you'll find somebody has um, the ability to get through a word maze. Somebody really knows a lot about capital cities. Some people Mm. are good at making decisions. Like, we've got to decide this. We've only got two minutes left. Come on, let's, let's decide. So it's all under pressure. And they're working against other teams. And it's all about scoring. And I'm writing the scores on the blackboard or whiteboard. And they have chances to get bonus points. I'll throw out random questions. They can also spend their points to buy a hint. So there's there's little little added extras to make it more exciting. Can I ask you how much um, uh, in going through the textbook? I, I, I and as you note, uh, it's all about teamwork. Yes. How much outside um, assistance do you allow? Like, do you allow them to? google some of the answers or to um only one person in the group is the googler or how do you how do you arrange the groups that's a great question yeah there are originally when i was writing the book i was thinking about having a little smartphone icon next to some activities but one problem with that is those icons can soon become very (laughs) old-fashioned when when the uh, (laughs) Technology changes. Well, like- well, well, you say that, and I, I just bring this thing. Like the, I don't know how um, kids in our class, like, uh, sorry, young adults in my classroom, put up with the fact that the icon for save is uh, an item that they have never seen. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. So, and also, some teachers do not want phones in class, and different countries, so, yeah. different policies. So my policy, and it's totally free for each teacher to decide how they do this. Mine is that generally they don't use phones and I'll make that clear. However, there are some times, for example, uh, I did an activity which is a food maze where they need to know countries, they need to know the famous foods. It helps if they know the spelling of those countries to work out how to get around the maze and there are illustrations of flags. Mm. And so I thought for that activity, it's actually better if either one person in the team or everybody is using phones. And it also speeds things up. And there well, are other it's, 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 Yeah, it's, it's also kind of a, a joint learning activity where like yeah. just for, for no reason whatsoever to know the, uh, I, I don't know how you are, but um, my wife is very big on kind of, indirect teaching so in our bathroom we have these uh these things up on the wall these charts up on the wall that include uh physics um algorithms and things about things about chemistry 
and you know you go to the upstairs bathroom and there's a world map with all the flags on it so kind of like you you can't walk anywhere in our house without learning something you just you'll you know you you know you you rock up for your morning ablutions and uh you'll find out oh that's the that's the flag of uzbekistan i didn't know that really good at this book (laughs) (laughs) she would she would uh the only reason i the, the reason i ask is because um so uh, the very first um, part of the book. So what is Morse code made up of? A, dots and dashes, B, ones and zeros, and C, circles and squares. And so when I first saw this, I went to check whether you had leveled this. And this is leveled at B1 to C1 on the Cephas scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that to aim it towards a university market or to aim it towards a more kind of advanced language school market i was probably aiming it at the students i teach which is kumamoto university mainly who are generally quite motivated quite high level but on a global scale not that good at communication compared to european students possibly so but i i also didn't want them to have all that knowledge of their sleeve Mm asking things that they would naturally know because I think the joy of it is is in finding finding the answer by chance somebody randomly knowing some trivia or getting everything completely wrong and not feeling bad about it because a lot of students are under so much pressure to pass tests that's how that's how they got there in the first place that it's not about achieving a perfect score it's about having a good time finding Mm -hmm. out after class think wow i'd quite like to know more about the nato phonetic alphabet i'm going to look that up i'm going to go on wikipedia and and challenge myself to learn morse code and the way i set up the homework is that they do that i have something called mission notes so after each mission in the book they spend an hour or two of their own free time doing some extra research finding out about the things they were interested in the things that they didn't know, checking new vocabulary, working out if there are any more idioms similar to the ones they learned. So kind of a free-ranging extra research element to the book. And is that is that something that they submit to you um, as part of their homework? Yeah, that's part of their grading. Okay. And do yeah. they do that through like a, a shared Google Doc or something like that? No, I, uh, I've I've noticed in the recent last couple of years, especially that uh, typed works do tend to lift in, in entire passages. From what? Wikipedia. I you know. don't say. Shocking. And so I had a little inkling that it might be even <laughs> more interesting to make them handwrite <laughs> these assignments in a notebook. So that if they really, really want to copy paragraphs from Wikipedia, they have to put some effort in. A lot of pain. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I want to see their original work. <laughs> well, this is uh, this is an audio podcast, but um, uh, Fiona can actually see that I I do all of my note taking by pencil, and <laughs> this is something that I'm uh, that my research colleague Aaron always mocks me about. That, yeah, I uh, filled six notebooks in the writing of this book. Everything I did on paper some of the most complex puzzles in the book. There's one where it's kind of spiral and students have to cut it out. It's in the back pages where there's a lot of 
cutting pages. I did that with a paper plate originally. Oh. <laughs> I in my house it was a disaster so I was just sat at the dining table with a stack of paper plates and scissors and marker pens and just determined to make this work and I feel very sorry for the illustrator and the publisher that had to work out how to make these actually fit in a book but my very rough drafts were yes handwritten notes paper plates all mm. kinds of ridiculous things going on well, as uh, as a father of two, and and I, I can say this that like two days ago, uh, my son came downstairs at like seven twenty in the morning, and declared that he needed two paper cups for his class activity today. And my wife went into a frenzy. Of, we, we don't we don't have paper cups in the house. They're like, oh no, maybe we do. Maybe we're in, maybe they're in this cupboard. Maybe they're in, maybe they're in that cupboard. So she entered her own kind of escape room, but. Um, <laughs> The, the kind of practicality of it hasn't, uh, of, of certain activities, hasn't disappeared from the Japanese uh, school system of, of turning up with physical items, realia, as we would call them, and doing something with them. While you were putting this book together, how important was it that people were actually in the same room, physically doing things and talking and seeing each other while they're doing it versus anything that could be done in kind of like an online course how important was the the physicality of it well i'd never even had the concept of this being an online thing while i was writing the book but then the pandemic happened oh and this book came out in march 2020 which oh well, is, uh, what what fantastic timing that was! Started to <laughs> go badly wrong. So my yeah. actual first experiences of using the book, I never even got to meet those students in person. Everything was on Zoom. Everybody was just getting used to this this lifestyle, which feels like a long time ago now. But yet they were all in separate rooms, and we mm. were all. Our, our own individual hells I would say at the start of the pandemic and if they wanted to they could literally escape their room it was like escape the class zoom it was, <laughs> it was a very strange the thing class zoom. at first never heard it was of a bit of a nightmare but then it became the highlight of my week and those students weeks they, they were so excited because they said that most of their classes were recorded lectures watch a video so passive they right. hardly Right. any interaction with human beings and it for this 90 minutes a week it was a very escapist to, to use the uh, the obvious go to yeah. work an escapist experience where they were bonding in a breakout room with their team they had to do scavenger hunts like go around their house looking for paper cups or finding erasers they had to make a, a paper aeroplane and they were just like ripping pieces of paper, shredding them, throwing them around. And it was it was so fun. And mm. the feedback I got was like, it's it's the most fun they have in a week because it was just so escapist and they could forget about the stress of the pandemic. So, so yeah, it, I not intended that, but it was it was just something that was forced to happen. But I so much prefer doing it in a room with real people seeing their interactions seeing the friendships develop and the excitement 
Yeah, but... I, well, it escapist in two ways, like uh, escape the classroom, but also, you know, something that's completely different from having to stay in your own. I know um, students who were stuck on campus, uh, overseas students who were in the, um, who were in their dormitories, and they they couldn't do anything on campus and things like that. So anything that would that would actually connect them with people, they were looking forward to, whereas others were at home and they just wanted the, the class to end so mm. um you know different motivations but I, one of the things about your book that i i really enjoyed was that you you engendered this idea of learning about things that they hadn't thought about before because i'm i'm a big believer in an epistemological approach to teaching so uh, the, some of the subjects that you chose, um, was there anything that uh, motivated the, uh, you brought up the chapter Alien before, uh, was there anything uh, from your own education that kind of motivated you to choose the topics that are in your book? I wish I could say yes, <laughs> but the answer is a resounding no. Oh. <laughs> Not to go down a rabbit hole, but in the early stages of this, of this book, there was a co-writer and we'd split the units between us. We were going to do half and half. This is a very shadowy figure who's, who remains anonymous, but he's anagrammed in various parts of the book. He dropped out very, very suddenly. Mm -hmm. Six months, just as we were getting interest from publishers and it was all starting to come together. But anyway, I won't go down that rabbit hole too far, but there were a lot of the topics, for example, numbers. I am terrible at maths. Alien, I have mm. no knowledge about space, although I've seen Star Wars, and you know, a few episodes of Star Trek. <laughs> Lab, I failed every science class I ever took. But suddenly I was left with these at the end after doing my half of the book. Right. Right. Hey, I've done alibi, you know, I'm into mysteries. I, so I did the the, uh, the the comfort areas first, and then I was left with half a book to write of topics I was really not familiar about. And I'll use the, the example of lab, because I almost have a phobia about science. I really was so bad at school. And I thought, well, a lot of people also hate science. A lot of people hate English class. And I wanted to make this book enjoyable, kind of for students who don't really like English. And so I wanted to make the science topic accessible and interesting for people who don't necessarily like science, which is me. So it was quite easy that I took a copy of the periodic table. I was like, mm. I hold out of this. So I, I came up with the idea to make it a shopping list that the chemistry professor Dr. Tom Taniguchi, who appears in many of my uh, works, <laughs> my escape rooms also, he's compiled a shopping list based on the numbers in the periodic table. And students are having to check in the back of the book when they figure it out, there is a periodic table. They're like, B, A, C, O, and bacon! And then <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> and some of the science students, they're just... They can't believe that they never thought that they could actually make words out of out of the uh, the elements. But it was, a, and also um, thinking about the history of science. Right. Yeah. I no. I I I, 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 I. Well. I, 
who created them. Yeah, well, I, the periodic table is one of the things that is on the wall of my bathroom. I'm sure it is. I don't doubt. <laughs> so <laughs> my mind. That's probably why I failed science. My mom just didn't put a periodic table on the bathroom wall. <laughs> so my my kids will literally say to each other over over the dinner table, seventeen, and they're like, uh, Whoa. uh ag, is that silver? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just throwing that out, and then me and my wife will just be looking at each other over the soup, being like, "Uh, you you kids have a go at it." I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I I don't look to the right when I'm in the bath. I'm I'm just having to think about other things. But uh, I'm having so... ideas for my books. Best <laughs> <laughs> ideas happen when when you think about um. I'm I'm not a big. I, I do like math, I do like science, I do like language, but I'm not a big puzzle guy. Have you always been into puzzles and kind of problem fixing and, you know, being able to see patterns? Is this something that kind of drew you to that element of the book? I think I'm good in some areas. I'm really, if I do an IQ test, I tend to do very well on word kind of problems, anagrams. Yeah. I was always really good at spelling at school. However, spatial ability, the ability to look above something and see how it twists and turns or fits it, I have, I'm absolutely terrible there. But I do like the satisfaction that you get mm. from putting a puzzle, finding the answer, figuring it out. So, so, so for example, so, so for example, like Sudoku, is that something oh, that, that you've? I do like a good Sudoku. Yes. Because because the the activities that are included in here are uh, things like uh, vocabulary and true false, uh, being able to find patterns and uh, you you do you, you have a there's there's a pattern to each chapter where you know it's kind of general knowledge and then you move into more difficult puzzles that you have to fix. Uh, is is this some kind of is this the kind of pattern that you think you know, helps with language learning language in and of itself is uh trying to fit the correct words or the correct grammars or the correct syntax to the required task so is this something that that draw you to that, that drew you to this model of uh textbook construction maybe not consciously but i, I did study languages at university mm. i studied Russian for a while, Spanish, French, Italian. And I guess there are patterns that when you when you learn one language, it can lead you into another. If you've done Latin, it can help you later on with, with French or Italian or Spanish. Or just, um, for example, trying to memorize Russian grammar. There isn't really a, <laughs> an easy pattern with that one. It is just about hammering away until you until you got it so maybe not but I think it's just the fact that I probably play a lot of board games a lot of the the things I enjoy like quiz shows or um, games within shows challenges in in tv shows like Survivor so I think it just is a part of me I think that I just always enjoy games well, uh, let's 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 look at that then, because uh, I'm I'm a, a a big believer in, and, and again, I've said my my wife, you know, 
tattoos our house with various things where our children can learn indirectly while they're just going about their daily business and in in that uh we we bought various board games so i recommended guess who uh that we would play in english uh we have settlers of Catan. um we have calcasson oh yes um could you could you speak to any of those that you think are relevant to language learning or any others that we should kind of be that we should be thinking about to kind of like gamify language learning mm, there are so many good games and i actually once made a list I, when i was making this book actually i i looked at all the board games i have i have a lot of board games in my classroom i wrote a list and then i wrote down what skills or what are the what are the things that stand out from each of these games for example negotiation some of them might be bluffing deception some of them might be um working out what your opponent's move is and doing something before they do it timing and i wrote down a whole list and i i didn't really do anything with that but i think it was in the back of my mind while i was writing that if i came up with some kind of game like um in the alibi chapter they have a game which is kind of similar to um, Among Us or Werewolf, Mafia, you know, those social deception games where you're given a role um, and you have to either be honest or you're forced to lie. It's, it's very common in games that like most of my teenage students play these games. Jinno game is popular mm. in Japan. And so, yeah, there's, there's different elements but I don't want that to be all the time. Like too much social deception games, it's bad for the bad for the mind and the, the heart. It's, it's, bad, it's bad. It's bad for the morals, is what it is. It's stressful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I find that if I'm forced to lie in a game, I'm not really very good at it. I don't have a poker <laughs> face, but it's good just to to have a little taste of that kind of game. Or so little elements from the from the games I've played. I do like to just sprinkle in but not go too heavily in any one direction so have you ever have you ever played two truths and a lie yes. in your in your yes. class yes. what 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 what's your misdirect um uh, well, uh, when, uh, I, when i give my own yeah yeah just to just give you just to give you an example hmm. um uh i will i will throw in uh, two things um, but my misdirect that everyone just thinks is a lie is that uh, I am a qualified sailing instructor, and no one believes that. So I will. I, I can say something of things like, "But I've I've visited uh, Mongolia as a English ambassador. I'm a trained sailing instructor, and I have lived in Japan for over twenty years." And they're like, "Hmm." Uh, you can't teach people how to sail. I'm like, yes, yes, I can. And so it's uh it's what what what's what's your go-to looks like a lie but is true? <laughs> well, I can do my whole I, I think I've got all <laughs> two or three in my head. So uh number one, I once lived in a place that was used in a Harry Potter location. And uh, number two, 
I once went on a date with a sumo wrestler. And three, I gave birth in a toilet. I would go with number one as the lie. What was number one again? The Harry Potter location, incorrect. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I never dated a sumo wrestler. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, dude. Uh... My one is so preposterous that everyone's like, no yeah. way. And that, that is true. <laughs> and and it was the sumo wrestler. So, yes, I think I, I tend to go with the real thing being quite shocking that they lose track of what the other things were. Exactly. It's it's the it's the magician's trick of uh, whatever's going on in this hand. Don't watch what's going on in this hand. Kind right. of thing. There you go. Yeah. The skills that the students get uh, once you've completed this course, once you've completed this um, textbook, you've you've already mentioned the skill of negotiation, which is something that I've investigated um, throughout my uh, research into global Englishes and English as an international language and trying to promote it as a lingua franca. What are the other skills that you think that the students get from this textbook, uh, wow. it, it, linguistically speaking? Yeah, one of the skills which is actually a solution to a puzzle, spoiler alert, is to think outside the box, that there are many ways of looking at a picture and and to try various ways. It doesn't matter if you fail, but try different things to succeed. And another skill is just the art of communicating in a team. If you think you have an idea, don't be shy about saying it. It's okay to be wrong. And the other skill that my students always talk about when they give me their um, leadership, uh, they, they do a kind of survey after they've been a group leader, is leadership skills which is something I've always been terrified of. If I'm put in a leader position, I'd be, oh no, I can't do it. But it's a very soft form of leadership that I tell them at the start of class, if you're a leader, your main goal, number one, motivate the group, keep everybody involved. Number two, try and keep the conversation in English as far as possible. And number three, you have the power as leader that if your team can't reach a consensus, you are the decision maker. So if you're taking a long time or some people say this, some people say that, as the leader, you get the final say. And so it helps students who are sometimes quite indecisive to be like, I say this, and mm. the chance to be a leader. And mm. even not particularly strong leadership, like standing in front of a class and directing an activity, it's a mm. very a way of making them think that they've picked up some leadership skills which I think then lead them to actually feeling more confident it's mm. about boosting confidence which is what I like to do uh, I, on that point I mean I, I teach a course uh here at QDI for teaching assistants and uh oftentimes people are told that being a leader is uh, the person who makes the decision, which ultimately it is. But also it's uh, a good leader, I think, allows people within the group to make their own decisions and make good decisions. So uh, have there ever been any uh, occasions using this text where people have made thing, made decisions that you think are incorrect 
or uh, that, that, that the leader has uh, led the group down the wrong path? Mm, a little bit, I would say, especially in the first few weeks when they mm. don't know each other very well yet and they come together in a team with complete strangers or people they, they just know their faces but they don't really know each other. And so say in the first activity where they have to do a vocabulary problem of some kind, they'll tend mm. to all do it by themselves because that's what they're used to in a normal class. And then they'll come together at the end and share their answers and be stuck because they've all got different answers. <laughs> and But I let them do it their own way. Some people start talking from the beginning and work together to form a consensus. Some prefer to work alone and then share what they've got. Mm -hmm. But as the weeks go by, I think they realize that it's probably better and more interesting to talk together from the start and quicker. They can save mm. time because if they run out of time, I'm always in the background of two minutes left, 30 seconds. Yeah, right. Pressure, mm -hmm. which makes the class move more quickly and in a in a more so so you you are you are always the leader though. So I that, that, so, so the leader in the the leader in the in the group is is subservient to yourself. <laughs> yes, but I want I want them to find their own way of doing things and not say, right, you have to do this from the start this way. It's it's more a matter of them naturally <laughs> finding that it is more practical for them to to consolidate, save time. Let's just talk about this from the start. And also they have to make decisions like, do they want to spend three of their hard-earned points to buy a hint for a really difficult puzzle that everyone's struggling with? It's a risk. It's a gamble. And the leader might be... Mm. Mm do it do it do it and their group is like oh no we could lose three points these points are meaningless they don't lead to prizes or anything but it's <laughs> it why don't points mean prizes fiona <laughs> not in my class <laughs> <laughs> if you want to start <laughs> you, you can never go back occasionally <laughs> it leads to the prize of having the choice of what the mission will be in this class that's the biggest prize i've ever offered it's not much but it doesn't matter because they just get so excited about about the scores on the boards. That oh, oh, no. Oh, we're bringing out all the British tropes here. <laughs> it is all about satisfaction. <laughs> and, but I don't want it to be a, a big thing of, of winning or losing. I don't right, make a big right. of the class. Just a round of applause for the, the the top team. That's it. Nothing big. And I would agree with you there. You, you don't want to... Uh, because I think if you made it about the ability to uh to complete all of the tasks correctly then i think it would inappropriately connect that those tasks with the grade that you're going to get in the class mm. so um uh the people who knew all of the answers to the questions in the uh in the general knowledge and things like that uh should shouldn't feel that they're going to get the best grade in the class uh because they knew it before Whereas the people who went out and found these answers and used their time, uh, as you mentioned before, uh, with mission notes and, uh, you know, self-motivated homework, uh, they they are going to learn, they're, they're going to learn more from their activities than they knew before the course started. So um, this goes back to a, a fundamental problem I have with 
university uh, education, but I'm not going to bring that up here. So, but I'm I'm interested. I am interested in the process of. I mean, you said that uh, you had someone you were working with. Sorry, with whom you were working. We're British. We have to get it right. Uh, and you, uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yes. Um, and but I, I also note that the fact uh, that your book is uh, printed in South Korea from concept to product to printing and use. How long was that? Um, so if we forget the the whole the, the name of the book came to me in an escape room in Korea many years ago, forgetting that part, the actual. I thought I thought you said, thought you said Hungary. No, no, no. I was standing in, a, in an escape room in Seoul. Oh, okay. I, I'd already done many escape rooms at that point, but yes, it was in Seoul when I got the words channeled to me. <laughs> escape the classroom, Fiona. Escape the classroom, Fiona. Yeah. But, <laughs> Yeah, I would say March 2018 is when I started in earnest to write this book. And when I go in on something, I do go all in. It was intense. Started um, just with that title, not really any clue what to do with it. But when the basic framework came together, okay, I'm going to have 15 missions. Each mission has six activities. The rest will come later. and. I just got down to work and I had, I think something happens when you're writing mm. some books or creating something that the more you create, the more you creative you become somehow. Mm. But it, I, I found it, it tended to flow where I would have a few weeks where I could just write and write and write and get ideas. And I'd wake up in the night like, oh, Eureka, I've got it. I've got this great puzzle that just came to me this has never been done this is awesome and then there'd be periods of intense lethargy where nothing would happen for a very long time I'm sure anybody listening will relate to this that mm. it's not a smooth process you have on and off times but I would say that yeah I finished the book my half of the book by September mm. and um yeah that was when we uh, we started making pitches to publishers, started thinking about the end goal of when we would actually have the book ready to go. Then my co-writer bailed. <laughs> but while, no, but I was, I think, yes, he was going to take until Christmas to finish writing his part of the book. So I was like, okay, I've got three or four months where I, I've done my writing. I'm going to mm. build an escape room in the interim. And so then I decided... <laughs> While I've got nothing to do, twiddling my thumbs, I'll just build an escape room. It'll help make my bio more exciting <laughs> because I didn't, you know, I, I don't have that many details in my bio. It's very sketchy. So I decided mm. that I could actually turn my classroom into an escape room. This is part of my very weird process. So, so then suddenly my co-writer bailed. I was um, in talks with various publishers and I'd also decided I was going to build an escape room which I was halfway through and then everything went <laughs> to hell in a handbasket <sighs> no co-writer I have to finish the rest of the book alone I've committed myself to building an escape room and now I have publishers that I have to like negotiate with who's going to be able to 
give me a colour version of this book because that was absolutely vital from the start that I just conceived that this book needed to be in colour, mm. could not be monochrome because a lot of the puzzles really depended if you've got pictures of flags or playing cards, colour was vital. I would have to change everything in the book if it couldn't be colour. So, so, yeah, from September for the next few months, it was a little bit crazy. But, I, I you know, when you're climbing a mountain, mm-hmm. and you get halfway up and you're absolutely exhausted. Mm-hmm. I could just go back down at this point. Mm. I actually experienced this when I was 18 and I went on an outward bound course because I really lacked stamina and my school reports for PE always <laughs> said something like, Fiona tries her best, but she lacks stamina, eat more. So it always niggled at me. I lack stamina. I yeah, need- uh, uh, more, more British moments on this podcast. <laughs> there you go, yes. <laughs> so I used all the savings from my many part-time jobs to go on an outward bound course to build stamina because I was asthmatic and I, I had terrible asthma attacks at that time. And so I found myself climbing up this mountain in Wales called Cade Idris with a team of super fit people who'd mostly been sent by their companies. Like they, they were paid to go on this course. I'd paid myself and I was gasping and wheezing up this mountain. And every time I reached the group, they'd finished their rest and they were about to set off for the next part. <laughs> and I kept thinking, I could just turn back. I could just turn back. I'll mm. just go a bit more mm. and then tell everybody that I'm going back. And then finally, it became like, it was worse to go back than it was to just struggle. Right, right. And to bring it back to the book, that's exactly what it was, that I was halfway up a mountain and I could either give up and just like forget about the whole thing. It was ridiculous. Or I could just keep slogging on just to say I'd reached the top of the mountain. But at least I'd have that, that I'd climbed this silly mountain and I'd done that. And so, yeah, I just pushed on. And I think my best work actually came in those periods of frustration, anger, uh, struggle. And the book came together and it all glued and I wrote a couple of epic missions Enigma which is the first one in the book that was the last I wrote oh really espionage element Mm. which became the second one in the book that was also one that I wrote really late was about survival and Mm. uh, climbing mountains surviving a zombie apocalypse those kind of things you 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 made an escape room? I, I, yeah, I've done four so far. Yeah. Oh, my so goodness. I, I, where, where, where are they? <laughs> um, well, the first one, well, they've all been in my actual classroom. So a, a, a running classroom in my Aikaiwa school, which is literally one room. And I teach in there four or five days a week. But I had this idea. I just really wanted to build an escape room. And I had so many ideas running in my mind because I was so into the book at this point that I just came up with this uh, story. The first one was called The Curse of Tom Taniguchi. He was, <laughs> there's a long story related to this. I'll, I'll, I'll maybe tell you later, but anyway. Um, <laughs> so that was, <laughs> I, I got pranked, a, fa- a letter. The main by, Tom, by Tom Taniguchi? By a, a friend who was claiming to be somebody called Tom Taniguchi, 
who represented Berlitz English School, and they were demanding that I change the name of my school. My school's name was Brits. Brits. And because Berlitz sounds close to Brits, and they were going to be starting a school in my area, they demanded that I change the name of my school. And I got this badly written letter from Tom Taniguchi using the Berlitz letterhead. And I totally believed it. And I was pranked long story short, but I, I I was so incensed by this evil Tom Taniguchi, who <laughs> was an imaginary character created by my evil friend, that that became the plot of my escape room, that my classroom was cursed. And to lift the curse of Tom Taniguchi, you had to solve the puzzle and find the hidden treasures which put together would break the curse. And that was my very first escape room. And I had a low budget. I think I was like 10,000 yen max is all I can spend. <laughs> <laughs> and so I use the items in my classroom. I have a bookcase. I have a wife. By, by, the, by the way, by the, for people who don't uh, know that, that's about 70 quid or about $80. It's not a lot. Yes. No. I, I needed a briefcase. I needed some uh, padlocks that you can get from your local DIY shop. Very, very minimal spending. I used everything I had. So, for example, if you want to make a, a very simple escape room, you can use a whiteboard, use permanent marker and whiteboard markers so that if it is erased, the letters written with a permanent marker are what makes the clue, for example or things hidden in books. You had to find the correct book. I used a lot of uh, picture books, so where's spot? There'd be little stickers hidden behind some of the flaps, but to know which flaps hid which stickers, you had to solve another puzzle. And I just, I went a bit crazy, I would say. <laughs> and meanwhile, my poor students are sitting in this room for their lessons every week. And they'd be looking around like, why is there a briefcase hanging from the ceiling? why is there suddenly a coat stand with mysterious jackets and items hanging out of the pockets why is there a wine bottle in the post box outside why and so then I had to make a, a separate... shut up look at your books There's nothing to do with you <laughs> yeah no these, especially the kids were just upset every week they'd be hunting around the classroom to see what was going on so then I said I'd make an escape room for children because my mm. first named it adults and I made one for children. Um, what was it called? I forget now. Um, some adventure, the great, oh, the great something adventure. Then I did an espionage one, which uh, used some of the puzzles from the book. Uh, it was, um, it was a mystery where you had one hour as a team. You'd be covert operatives coming in to solve a mystery and find out what was the uh, the objective, what was the operation, what was the operation's name, what was the code name of the, uh, the uh, assassin. And they eventually found out that it was uh, a deadly, dastardly plot to assassinate Kumamoto's favorite mascot character, Kumamon. And they had to solve that <laughs> to prevent the assassination of Kumamon. Uh, <laughs> it sounds really crazy when I describe it but yeah so uh, yeah I en I ended up building four different escape rooms throughout the process 
of writing this book, which I think was my kind of escapism that I needed to let off a little steam. I couldn't really talk to anybody about the book. It was kind of my secret mission that mm. I was working on it, but I didn't want to reveal too much because what if what if it doesn't get published? What if something goes wrong? So I was funneling a lot of my energy into building escape rooms and that was helping feed my creativity to work on the book at the same time and to, to finally finish it. And yeah, March 2020 is when it came out in full colour at the start of the pandemic. So Fiona, before we finish, could you tell me something about the Elton's Award? I I could. Thank you for asking. So um, as, as I told you, the book came out in March 2020 to very little fanfare because there was a pandemic on. I basically didn't meet anybody in person. I didn't get any feedback. Nobody knew about this book for a really long time. And but my publisher always really believed in me and he thought that this was something special. And so he decided to put it forward for the Elton's Awards, which are uh, run by the British Council. It's an international award for innovation in language teaching. And it's open not only to textbooks, but um, websites, digital platforms, online dictionaries, projects, any aspect of language teaching. And uh, it was put forward in February 2021. And then you go through a very long judging process, uh, like a, a long list. Then it leads to a short list. And then the shortlisted um, nominees are invited to a red carpet award ceremony in London, which unfortunately for me also fell during the time that it was very difficult to leave Japan. Oh, good Lord. So oh. <laughs> my publisher, Paul Lewis from Perceptual Press and uh, Michi Mathias, the illustrator, we were, we were a team of three that were nominated for this book. They were able to go to London and take part in the award ceremony. And our book was nominated in Innovations in Learner Resources. Mm. We were up against, gosh, I think uh, BBC had some project, um, some Oxford University Press Dictionary, uh, various corporate giants and huge. Yeah. And this was the only book that actually made the cut as, as a finalist. Sorry, um, it was those three? You're no, up against Oxford, uh, you got up against OUP and BBC. There was maybe Pearson in there. Uh, I can't remember now. I've locked so it Pe out. Pearson and, oh, good Lord. Yeah, you, you could go online and just uh, check the 2021 finalists for, for those awards. But yeah, sadly, we didn't win. It, it, um, the award went to Fiction Express, which I think was a Spanish project bringing uh, fiction to life for schools, which is a great project also. But yes, yes, to be a finalist for the Eltons and get that little sticker on the corner of the book. Yes, I couldn't exactly. be there in person was, was a huge accolade. And for me, it was really the first time that I, I felt that I got some recognition for for the, uh, the crazy amount of work I, I put were you, into. Were you sitting at home in Kumamoto with your fingers crossed kind of? Oh, it was a nightmare, yeah, because it <laughs> London. It was about 2 a.m. Right. on a Tuesday. 
<laughs> and I was just in November, sat alone in a room. I think I'd got my my fizzy wine <laughs> at the side of me trying to get <laughs> into the mood because they were having canapes and, you know, the whole schmoozing on the red carpet. Oh, we, we all know how this schmoozing on the red carpet happens uh, with well, book I events. Experience that. <laughs> so, <laughs> And they were trying to make it a hybrid event that people who right, couldn't right. join the ceremony could take part in their own way. So you had a, your own booth and you could communicate with people at the event or watching around the world and talk mm -hmm. to people. It was, it was fun. It was interesting, but it was not quite the same. Well, thank God they didn't have my face on the screen because when the awards were announced, I'm a bad loser. I mean, I wrote a very, very... Nice competitive book which is all about <laughs> games and winning and yeah the uh it was lauren laverne who's like a british tv personality dj who was um like running emceeing the ceremony and she gave the book a mention and then it was the first category and they read the nominees and the award goes to the other somebody one. else i threw my pencil across the room <laughs> and that was gutted <laughs> i can't even pretend that i was a gracious loser my face just like well i can't <laughs> audio podcasts don't capture it but i was like i was so cross <laughs> but everybody told me that it's a great honor to be nominated no no, no. i i love the fact that you've used the word cross there which is it's such a kind of northern english thing it's like no like, i you know, was a bit miffed yeah yeah, yeah it, it really rubbed me the wrong way oh it did <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I, I i should have been very satisfied to be a finalist and i am and it, and it has helped it's helped me get international distribution it's helped get me onto different platforms uh to be able to to sell the book around the world not just in japan so it mm. has helped. yeah i i'm no longer bitter a little bit bitter i'm, I'm good that this uh, podcast has uh, helped you get over your problems with this issue <laughs> yeah, i maybe still need a few rounds of therapy but yeah. or for more rounds of rounds of fizzy wine uh, <laughs> yeah and it's it's a wonderful book i i would love to find the time that uh or, or the or the place that uh i could use it with my students because it was it's just inspiring uh and the reason that i i connected with you because we had a com conversation at the soft subtle uh conference subtle soft subtle uh conference uh and it you are just a, a very easy person to connect with and then when you look at the at the book you realize the uh the work that you put into it um i would just say uh you are joining a, a group of people um uh, uh including chris cooper and sarah hopkins of uh, uh and i'm gonna i'm gonna include derbyshire in northern english That's i'm gonna fun. i'm going to yeah i'm going to include derbyshire in northern england uh on this how did you find yourself in kumamoto oh well just like this book and many things in my life rash impulsive decisions badly thought <laughs> <out>. <laughs> there's no there's no logic it's 
not very well thought out. Yes, I think maybe that is a northern trait. You just go ahead and do it. <laughs> well, you know, because because we all we all come from from Vikings, so you know, we just go and just try and find something else, don't we? <laughs> yeah, and and I do come from a background where nobody in my family had ever left Derbyshire. Nobody nobody had gone to university. My parents both left school at fifteen. Uh, our life was very. Uh, enclosed like a, a 15 mile radius I would say like from a couple of different villages and they moved to the big town of Matlock uh, <laughs> so yeah it, it was a, a shock to all concerned really but I think I just maybe from being a huge bookworm as a child that the uh, the escapist streak was there that that anytime I started reading a book I would just be transported and I think I just had this thirst for for something different or something beyond beyond the realms of of what was around me. So my first step was to go to university in Durham, which became one of the locations for the Harry Potter films. So that was true from my two truths and a lie and studied languages. And I think by the time I'd finished my degree, I was just so jaded and really didn't enjoy um having to study so hard maybe but but also being very driven I really really wanted to do very well but I I I tended to get I don't know get bored easily or something but I I just wanted to learn something outside of European languages which is what I'd studied intensely and so it was basically like throwing a dart at a world map, I applied to various jobs. I think it was Ecuador, there's one in Sri Lanka. Uh, I spent the summer in Canada and just sort of, sort of waited to see what, what landed. And when I got back, I had a job offer to go to Japan. And I was like, yeah, good do, I suppose. And yeah, here I still am. Very random. I wish I had a better story. No, it, it's it's not that I, I would say it's not that there's there's a better story, but it, it's it's a genuine story. And I think that uh, a lot of um, people who listen to this podcast have had a similar situation where they're like, well, I, I tried here. I tried here. I worked out here. This one wasn't good for me. And now here I am. And yeah. it's, 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 it's a very human it, exactly it's a very human story uh, that that's great i i just wanted to ask you because i never got the chance to ask you that um while you were trying to sell me books in kumamoto don't use any swears <laughs> all right so we've been speaking with uh fiona wall minami from kumamoto university and also the owner of brit's english school also in kumamoto about her book uh escape the classroom which i would absolutely recommend that you take a look at because for for a couple of reasons not only is it incredibly well made but it, it it's intended for a uh for a safa level that's above your normal uh juku or or language class and the um and it's just fun 
it's just it's really really fun so uh, thank you so much for your time today fiona and um i look forward to meeting you again in person in the future thank you very much thanks for having me if you'd like to contact the show the best place to find out about us is our website lostincitations.com here you can learn more about the background to this project and how you can get involved our hope is to help academics educators and online content producers get in contact with each other. Our email address is lostincitations at gmail.com. We also have Facebook and LinkedIn pages. Please rate and comment on the sites you use to download your podcasts. It helps us reach more potential listeners. But probably the most helpful thing you can do is, if you like our content, recommend it to a friend and let them know what we're trying to do. Thank you very much.